Today on episode 7 of Rank and Review, my good friend Matthew Risling and I are going to discuss six movies on the subject of ghosts. There are dozens and dozens of movies on the subject of ghosts and supernatural entities, so we're going to be coming back to this topic again and again. And what we have here is a fairly random sampling of fairly PG-level supernatural thrillers. I do want to make a special note here to thank Matthew for his time that he put into this podcast. He's only in Saskatoon for a little over a week, and he somehow managed to fit in time to watch six movies and record this podcast with me and see all of his other friends and family. His generosity is really kind of touching to me, so I wanted to put a special word out to my boy Matthew Risling. I really hope you enjoy this episode of Rank and Review. And as always, I'm going to put it up front, there will be some spoilers, and there will be some coarse language. Enjoy. This is a spooky fireside edition of Rank and Review. So yeah, that popping and crackling you hear in the background is, uh, is fire. Wood being burnt in fire. I think it adds to the ambience of the subject. Enjoy. Okay, so uh, I have Matthew Risling. We are in a uh, very uh, rustic garage in Harris, Saskatchewan. I've got my good friend Matthew Risling. Who? How long have I known you now? It's been like... Well, it would be grade 8. Grade so 8. F- I don't want to say. It's <laughs> 24 years-ish. <laughs> 24 years. Um, yeah, you, uh, you've been uh, out of province for quite a few years now. but it's 13 of those. I was super stoked to have you do the podcast. I'm going to thank you right now for being part of it. Um, just to, uh, for, for sound purposes, uh, yeah, there's a, a fire in the background and, uh, yeah, it's a different environment that we're used to, but we're, uh, talking about ghost movies. So we're in a haunted barn out in the middle of nowhere in the Saskatchewan prairies. Yeah. Um, yeah, Matthew chose the topic of ghosts and, um, we were actually talking on our drive up to Harris that we're both fairly skeptically minded when it comes to ghosts. And yet we both have experiences that we cannot explain um, I don't know if we would say yes positively, but we, we've seen a ghost, but uh, it's a fascinating topic. Yeah. Did you write a paper on on this? Or did, I seem to remember you saying something about like the... Yeah, way back when I was uh, doing my undergraduate degree, I did a directed studies project on Japanese ghost stories, um, which probably won't play into this very much, except I did end up writing on the uh, book of short stories uh, that 
the movie Dark Water came from. Right. Okay. So this is sort of like the typical Asian hair over the face, hag, angry female voice type of. Uh, it wouldn't have been no. Uh, I mean, it's a it was a book of short stories, and there was a bunch of different ones, but um, it was the same guy that wrote The Ring, Ningu. Uh, uh, Ringu, Ringu. <laughs> um, but there was no uh, Sadako character. Right. Just a bunch of uh, bit more bizarre postmodern. How to say Japanese postmodernism? <laughs> well, well, uh, but you've done some reading on it. You know your shit. So I expect this to be just the best episode of Rank and Review so far. That's oh, all I'm asking. I swear <laughs> to God uh, that this will be the best. Okay. Um, yeah, so the six movies that we're going to talk about on the subject of ghosts, we have a film called Haunted, uh, from director Lewis Gilbert. I remember looking him up. Uh, uh, Jeremy, our producer today, can get us some information on Lewis Gilbert, but he's been around forever. I think this was actually one of his last films that he directed. Um, and is he British? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, and he is... Uh, or it, it is probably the most classical, quintessential ghost story of the group that we have. Would you agree? Yeah, and that was the thing that I really liked about it, but I guess we can talk we can about talk that about a little that. bit later. Um, yeah, we've got this film called Fragile, starring Callista Flockhart, or as she will probably always be known, Ally McBeal. I was gonna, thought you were going to say Harrison Ford's wife. Or Mrs. Han Solo would yes. be also acceptable. Anything but her actual name. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, this is about a nurse who comes, finds her way into a haunted hospital. Um, we have a film starring Michael Keaton called White Noise, uh, which has to do with uh, spirits communicating through electronic devices. And not just electronic devices, uh, weirdly tape-based electronic devices. Static. It's a digital age film. It was made in 2005, something like that. But for some reason, it's... Uh, 2004, according uh, to the box. Yeah. VHS and uh, cassette tapes. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, Dark Water, the aforementioned Dark Water, starring my girlfriend, Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, very star-studded. Uh, and again... Uh, I guess its origins are not familiar to me, but it felt like a fairly familiar uh, kind of ghost story, a very quintessential ghost movie. Yeah, it's a story about a hardworking man who wants uh, custody of his daughter, and his uh, bitch ex-wife is denying him that, and then a helpful ghost helps him uh, regain custody. Oh, so you saw the subtext of the <laughs> film as well. Um, Mr. Robert Zemeckis actually made a movie in between shooting uh, bits of Castaway starring Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks had to lose a bunch of weight in order to uh, finish the second half of the film. So while Tom Hanks was doing that, Robert Zemeckis was making the film What Lies Beneath, starring, uh, yes, uh, Harrison Ford. And that's Callista Flockhart's husband. Yes, as he will always be remembered, right. uh, the guy who, who's nailing Callista Flockhart. And uh, Michelle... Catwoman Pfeiffer. <laughs> Sadly, no tight leather suit to be found anywhere oh, here. In interesting. We've got another connection. The Harrison Ford Callista Flockhart. But we've also got Batman Catwoman in our... Uh, oh, that's Michael right. Keaton Michael Keaton pairing. and Michelle Pfeiffer. And, of course, the piece de resistance. The classic 1990 film from the director of Airplane <laughs> Ghost. Starring the late, great Patrick Swayze. <laughs> And the sadly still with us, Demi Moore. <laughs> and uh, to a film to which 
Whoopi Goldberg was awarded an Academy Award for Best Supporting I'm Actress. I'm unaware of that. <laughs> there it is. Interesting. So that's our, our list of movies. I actually, I remember I offered you another list of movies with some more familiar, uh, sort of famous, recognizable titles, like The Original Haunting and, and The Sixth Sense, and you sort of batted that down. Were you just looking for more movies that you hadn't seen? or? Uh... Yeah, I think I had seen everything on the first list, uh, and as one who is watched ghost movies with me uh, the ones that creep me out uh, really creep me out and I will uh, often be sitting there watching them with a blanket over my head and I'm always you know that's the experience you can only get the first time with a movie so I thought six that I haven't seen I was pretty sure that I wouldn't be watching ghost uh, with a blanket over my head but the rest of them I thought uh, this could be a, a, a delightfully terrifying experience uh, a la the time that I watched Session 8. Session 9. Session 9. But you will always call it Session 8, right. so it's whatever you like, yes. Um, yeah, Brad Anderson, we're going to talk about that one at some point in this podcast. I'm a huge fan of it. Um, I remember you telling me, on one of our many walks, I think, <laughs> to uh, Aiden Bowman Collegiate, that you were traumatized watching the film Poltergeist when you were a kid? Yeah, when I was a kid, uh, my seventh birthday, which would have been back in not only the 80s, but the early 80s, uh, when Saskatoon got its first water slide, <laughs> the Imperial 400. Um, uh, my birthday party that year was at the Imperial 400, and my parents rented a room, uh, two rooms, uh, so that night after water sliding, me and my brother were put to bed in one and the grown-ups were in the other, uh, but we had Super Channel, um, <laughs> and uh, we decided to stay up and watch a movie, and uh, lo and behold, Poltergeist was on, uh, and immediately we turned it on and there's this scene where a guy's face is falling apart in front of the mirror. Uh, and we were just too terrified to leave the bed. We both desperately wanted to turn off the television, but it was like the, the floor around us was lava. <laughs> the blanket comes from over our heads. The ghost is going to get us. So after about an hour or so, my parents uh, walked in, and they must have seen these two shivering children <laughs> staring unblinkingly at this television. Um, and maybe that's... If not the origins of my love of ghost movies, I mean, that's the kind of thing that... Seed is planted there. Yeah, it cemented um, it. Well, that's sort of why I brought it up, because we've talked about it in previous episodes, sort of that I think everybody has that movie that they saw when they were too young, and it kind of fucked them up, <laughs> kind of spooked them really badly, uh, and it either maybe made them swear off horror movies or uh, fall in love with them, uh, but... Uh, my father would let me watch pretty much anything that was on if he was around and in the room, and I would decide myself if I was going to sit it through, if I was going to excuse myself. <laughs> but I'm wondering if uh, that's not why I have such a fascination with horror movies, because I was introduced to them at that too young age. Um, anyway, uh, you want to talk about some ghost movies? Yeah, let's begin. Let's do it. What you are about to hear is real. It has not been edited or enhanced. I will see you It is the voice of Ruth Baxter. I will see you This voice was recorded in August 2003. Ruth Baxter died in 1987. Electronic voice phenomenon, EVP, is the process by which the dead, through sound and image, 
communicate with the living through the static and white noise of modern electronic devices. Okay, so the first movie we're going to talk about is called White Noise. Um, it's directed by Jeffrey Sachs, and it stars Batman himself, Michael Keaton, who I still think remains the best Batman. Uh, yeah, if this were a Batman podcast, I might uh, take some issue with you, but uh, we're here to talk about White Noise. And All right, all right, we'll talk about White Noise if you must. <laughs> having me sing the praises of Val Kilmer. Um, so, yeah, I like to push the pot a little bit for the movies, for people who are not familiar with it. But the gist of this movie is we're talking about uh, EVP. Uh, Must be electro video Voice phenomena. Electrum, electronic voice phenomena. And the, the fact that we can't remember... Is not a good sign. <laughs> yeah. And also, I do believe that typically this is people who will take uh, cassette recordings in, like, graveyards or haunted house and play them back and hear whispers of the undead from the background but the movie seemed to know that this was not enough to build a movie around so it added the uh television static and then i don't know if this is the time for spoilers but there was also a psycho killer at the end just one wonders how many uh screenwriters were working on this movie <laughs> how many different screenplays got squished into this one um michael keaton plays a man whose uh, young pregnant wife uh, ends up very mysteriously vanishing her car is found by uh was it the river or the ocean and uh, uh, she is nowhere to be found it's suspected she slipped on the rocks and eventually a body is found but foul play is very obviously afoot here <laughs> um, and that's uh, you've just touched on uh, a weird sub theme that has emerged in five of these six movies which is water. Uh, uh, water and things being drowned yeah, this actually would completely fit uh, snugly with all the other movies if uh, Michael Keaton was played by an actress. It seems typically in these ghost stories it's a female protagonist. But in this case we get a very sad-eyed Michael Keaton. And one of the many things I, I really found frustrating about the movie is how not used Michael Keaton was. There's a lot of montages, a lot of him looking out of windows, looking sad or put out about things. But Michael Keaton is a very good actor, and he had very little to do in this movie. Um, that's my opinion. What did you think of White Noise? Um... I mean, you mentioned the montage, and in my uh, notes that I was taking during writing it uh, or watching it, uh, I've got a big boo in all caps with three exclamation points because uh, why on earth did there need to be a montage in this? It's got to be several, I mean, even. <laughs> I mean, the montage is the thing that announces that we're watching a movie. Um, which is the thing that kicks you out of a ghost movie. And I mean, maybe in something like Ghostbusters, uh, but that's primarily a comedy. Yeah. Um, but it was just just destroying the mood for no, no purpose that I could even see. It wasn't forwarding the plot at all. There's there's times where you, this sort of thing is done better, and sort of this this movie was trying going for the hard atmosphere. I think that we were supposed to be generally unnerved by what was going on. I was getting increasingly sleepy as I was watching this movie, but um, it kind of reminded me of another film uh, called The Mothman Prophecies, uh, which I did not have the pleasure of uh, watching. Um, but just the, they have a lot of top-down sweeping camera movements in on scenes that 
don't seem to call for them. Like they're forcing uh, ambience into the film even before it's even required. Um, and that's what this movie had a lot for me. Is like a lot of cool camera moves, a lot of really well put, you know, well photographed sequences that were not frightening. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that this movie had going for it that could have been a real strength is was sort of the general creepiness of the fuzzy videos, and you can sort of make out uh, scary figures uh, saying violent things. Um, and, you know, if it focused more on the low tech and the low production values, this is go actually going to be a theme uh, throughout most of my comments or comments on most of these movies um, is the idea that when it starts to feel like a movie then it just destroys anything that would make ghosts enjoyable so um, well I actually liked his performance uh, even the fact that um, um, Michael Keaton was the star of this it was hard not to see Michael Keaton uh, Batman, Mr. Mom just Michael Keaton-isms here yeah. and there yeah. And I kept expecting him to say something funny and whimsical because that's the kind of movies that he makes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, just to finish up the plot right up, uh, after his wife is confirmed dead, uh, he ends up meeting this uh, <laughs> fellow who's obsessed with EVP, who's basically just stalks him to his workplace. There's no creepier way that guy could have presented himself to him. And, uh, yeah eventually decides to try and make contact with his wife through this medium and uh yeah hence white noise um deborah Kara unger who's a canadian actress plays uh i don't know what exactly her role is you in know, this we movie assumed it would be the love interest but that never panned out and she doesn't really help solve the mystery necessary she's just uh, i guess a victim <laughs> maybe a curious element in a movie with a lot of curious elements uh, and generally speaking more elements than it needed to have yeah a lot of stuff seems superfluous. It seemed to be a lot longer than it needed to be. And that's something that I think you're going to hear from me a lot about some of these movies. Uh, I think that a lot of them have a good enough shell story that if they're efficiently told, they would completely work. But when left to breathe too much, yeah. Yeah, again, the psycho killer, um, his neglected son, when Michael Keaton becomes obsessed with... Um, contacting his wife's ghost through the EVP uh, in <laughs> montage scenes we see him neglecting his son um, in a way that doesn't seem to have anything to do with anything if the son was not in this movie it would have been a little bit shorter but I can't imagine what it would have lost yeah yeah um, there was interesting, we had a sort of, we were talking about the technology involved in this film it's set in 2004 like you say but like he's using a a ghetto blaster with a, an antenna to pick up his radio and uh, staring at what looks like VCR footage or, or, or like, you know, old TV screens. It's got a weirdly consciously dated fat sort of perspective to it. And, yeah, uh, really, uh, the, the thing that I found most interesting while watching it or the thing that, that captivated me most was trying to remember if in 2004 cassette tapes still existed or VHS tapes still existed I couldn't remember uh, if they were totally obsolete or if they were still clinging uh, hanging around um, but then I think that says something about the movie that I would 
spend often your time calling to daydreams about, about what I was doing in 2004. Uh, and then, you know, sort of wake up from my daydreams without having missed much. Okay, uh, one of the other elements about the movie that I thought was kind of underexplored is this idea that the Michael Keaton character, by making contact with the other side, was meddling and uh, causing anger in some of the more hostile spirits. Um, I didn't really fully understand this aspect of the story, and it actually becomes a fairly huge point in, towards the end of the movie. So much so that the movie ends with text on the subject of these uh, hostile entities. So, uh, what did you think of that aspect of the movie? Yeah, um, I was a little bit confused myself whether or not uh, playing with EVP made ghosts mad at you uh, because you were somehow... Um, playing around in their domain, or, I mean, there seem to be consistently three mean ghost silhouettes, if these just happen to be three particularly ill-tempered ghosts, mm-hmm. um, or if there were like a billion of them, and these were the ones that told the psycho killer to be a psycho killer, this is another yeah. sort of confusing link in the chain. And for the movie taking its time on so many things, it really under-explains this aspect, which, as I say, comes pretty crucial in the third act of the movie. We don't really spend much time getting to know the other side. We're with Michael Keaton while he ignores his son. Um, yeah, I think that they kind of took some of the emotional punch out of the movie, too. Uh, just, I felt, I felt at arm's length from this movie at all times. I never was allowed access to it. I never really got deep into it. And, um, yeah, like I say, I, I feel like they thought the audio recordings weren't going to be enough to make a movie, so they started just adding elements. And either they added too much, or they should have just like picked one and, and, and gone with it. But overall, yeah, it's got an actor I really like. It's on a subject that I find interesting, but I would not recommend this movie at all to anyone. <laughs> no, I mean, another thing that I would add to that is... Um, not everybody is scared by ghost movies necessarily, and that's fine. Another thing that you can do with them to make them successful is have an interesting twist. And this is one of the uh, the things that the Ring movies, both the Japanese one and the American remake, um, had a, a, a good yeah. twist. Uh, the Sixth Sense obviously had yeah. a, a good twist. There's nothing even bordering on a twist in this. We learn about... Maybe at midpoint, I don't know, after we've been watching for four or five hours, there are some uh, angry ghosts out there, but that's as close to some sort of a reveal as it had. Hmm. So we learn at some point that ghosts can be bad, and then they kill some people. Well, I'm, I'm sorry that you didn't enjoy the movie, but I'm sort of also glad that we're on the same page because we seem to be kind of in the minority. This is a pretty well-liked movie, and it, it spawned a sequel starring Nathan Fillion and uh, Starbuck from uh, <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. Um, and uh, I wasn't excited to see it before, and I'm less excited to see it now, but one of these days it's going to be done on the rank and review is there anything else you want to say about white noise before we move on no i mean i might come back to it uh, in discussions of other movies but i think uh, i think we've been pretty tough on it in a way that it deserves but yeah. uh, maybe we can move on yeah i hope michael keaton can headline a movie that is good before he dies because it's been a while Claire's hearing things. What are you hearing? Voices, whispering, a picture fell. Missing girl. Do you remember? 
it is? No. I stopped at this cafe to get a coffee and I see Norman, but he wasn't alone. Look at this. Doesn't it look exactly like a face? And okay, so the, from the director of Who Framed Roger Rabbit and the Back to the Future franchise, uh, Robert Zemeckis, who has spent like the last... 10 years of his career basically exclusively doing animation and is typically known as a special effects sort of focused director um, made this film called What Lies Beneath because as he said he'd always wanted to make a thriller, a classic Hitchcockian thriller and he got an A-list cast to help him out with uh, uh, Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, well and the, the good thing is that he's still got enough credibility in Hollywood that there is a chance for him to make a thriller sometime in his yeah, career. Yeah, maybe this will happen at some point. This was not it. <laughs> um, do you want to push the plot for us on what lies beneath? Um, yeah, so it's about a woman who's Michelle Pfeiffer uh, and her husband is Harrison Ford. Um, and sort of very obviously Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer, as I said uh, in the discussion of white noise that you know watching celebrities in these things really makes it feel like a movie right it really really felt like a movie um anyway michelle pfeiffer's daughter goes off to college and they're in some new england lake house feeling the empty nest syndrome a little bit yeah. yeah her husband is a chemistry professor i believe and he's busy with his work did they say what her job was, or her job was just being beautiful? Yeah, she she had been a musician, and then she married him at some point in their past, and she gave up her career to be a homemaker, and uh, we'll learn later she was sort of dissatisfied with her life in that decision. Yeah. Lonely Housewife starts seeing spooky stuff in and around her house, is essentially what this over two hour movie is about. Am I, I'm not wrong about this. No, and I mean the other thing is that something had happened to her about a year earlier involving a car accident um, never really gets stated that clearly but she's got some sort of a traumatic episode um, almost exactly a year ago I suppose. Right. Again, very, fami very familiar ground for this type of movie. Um, I'm I'm not going to be as hard on the actors as I guess you are. I mean, or if the fact that they're familiar faces in a movie is not necessarily their fault. I mean, they're cast in the in the movie, and do they play their roles reasonably well? I think that they do. I, I think Michelle Pfeiffer is fine. I think Harrison Ford does the job that is asked of him. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I would actually say they're fine. I think they shouldn't have been cast. Yeah. I mean, as soon as we see Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford. I mean, as soon as you see that kid fishing from the moon, this is a DreamWorks movie. Right. I mean, we're, we're watching what's going to be a sort of safe, star-studded movie where we are never... Well, for me, anyway, I never got lost in it. I never imagined that, you know, there there isn't a boom mic just out of the shot. Right. There's not an entire crew around trailers. It just didn't... There was no suspense. It felt like a movie. Right. Right. Um... I also sorry. Oh, just as it turns out, there wasn't going to be any suspense anyway. No, no, and uh, there, there's some. They really try hard to give you some suspense, and uh, what really pisses me off. And here's some big spoilers to start with: is uh, they spend a long time in this movie on what is just a very obvious red herring, 
with Michelle Pfeiffer being very nervous and suspicious of her neighbors being up to some foul play. Uh, the the woman next door who's grieving and who's she's frankly spying on through a hole in the fence is played by an uh, Australian actress who played Eowyn in the Lord of the Rings fave. Miranda Otto plays the uh, distraught neighbor. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's a series of bizarre clues that uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in her little Nancy Drew <laughs> fixated place uh, interprets to mean some domestic altercation went t- terribly wrong. And she sort of focuses her hysteria on this for a good portion of the movie. I would say, what, 40, 45 minutes of this movie is dedicated to the mysterious goings-on next door? Yeah, but I, I mean, I think it's even worse than that, because w- the, what it is that makes Michelle Pfeiffer so sure that it's at, this woman has been killed by her husband is this woman is terrified of her husband, screaming hysterically, and then, oh no, my husband's coming home, the car pulls up, we don't see her again. And then when it's explained later, at, you know, the halfway point when she accuses the husband of murdering his wife and the right. wife shows up and then she explains that she had loved her husband so much that she was terrified of him. Uh, and then or that, Lou terrified of losing him or some nonsense. Well, except she left him. Yeah. So <laughs> she loved him but was terrified of that love. And then she went to stay at her mom's, and he came and picked her up. And, yeah. yeah. James Remar plays the husband in that, and basically his whole subplot is a long, prolonged setup for one punchline at a party. Uh, and that was pretty amusing, <laughs> but uh, that was a long time for one joke. And then, 45 minutes into What Lies Beneath, the movie begins. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, although, fortunately, uh, about 15 minutes later, at the, about the halfway point, it also ends when we <laughs> learn that the ghost is of a young woman and that her husband killed the young is woman. clearly responsible. And you know why her husband's clearly responsible? Because there's nobody else. There's nobody else. And because it's Harrison Ford, right? Yeah. But, I mean... Yeah, it's like the worst case of murder she wrote. Yeah, you know. Recognize a celebrity. He probably did it. It's the biggest celebrity out yeah. there. There's three people in the room. The lights go out. <laughs> One of them dies. And we know that the chick didn't do it. So there's zero mystery. And that does deflate a good deal of the suspense. But it it, was I like, mean, even then, it's got to be... We've got to have... At least 45 minutes to an hour after she confronts him, did you have something to do with this young woman's death? And he says, yes. Yes. We were having an affair. (laughs) She killed herself. She was crazy. We know that the ghost has a problem with him. Uh, we know that he's untrustworthy. We know that there's an hour left. Uh, so it's... And we know that it's Harrison Ford and he's going to have something to do. Yeah. He's not going to be just the husband who doesn't believe that there's a ghost. It's yeah. painfully, painfully, painfully obvious where this movie is going. And it takes a really long time to get there. So. Yeah, I, in fact, I think we should do now with the plot summary what Zemeckis should have done with the movie and just <laughs> exactly. say yada, yada, yada. Yes. <laughs> Um, As it turns out, uh, this is actually a a little tough to figure out. So Harrison Ford had killed this young woman because she became obsessed with him and he might lose his cushy professor job. And so he decides to kill his wife in the most 
sadistic way possible. He gives her this drug that paralyzes her body, puts her in the bathtub so she can watch the water sort of slowly creep up, and then taunts her while he's doing it. All of a sudden... Presumably, this is exactly what he did to the student as well. Um, And I would like to point out how painfully set up a lot of this stuff was. Michelle Pfeiffer visits him at work, and one of his colleagues shows her this serum that will paralyze the animal so it looks like it's dead, (laughs) you know. Uh, Or the whole business about the cell phone not being able to work (laughs) until they're halfway across the bridge. It's just like, yes, make a note of this, audience. (laughs) This will come up later. God damn it, yeah. you know? The most precise dead zone where you get exactly halfway through the bridge, as we learn in the discussion in the first few minutes, then you get full bars, but until then, it's nothing. Um, okay, so we're we're taking a big old shit on, on what lies beneath, but I do want to say one or two nice things okay. about it, too. The lighting was very good. Um I kind of dug that Harrison Ford... I mean, you're right. Once he decides to kill his wife, he's about as terrible about it as he could be. But I got the feeling like he didn't want to do it, and he was giving her outs that she wasn't taking for quite a while. And I did kind of enjoy that little bit of, like, you know, it'll be a real pain in the ass to have to find another wife, and I'd just as soon keep this one if I can. But she's going to keep picking at it. She's just not going to let it go that I killed someone, you know? But see, I, I could have let that go. Like, I could have believed that he would psycho kill her. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he, he's just desperate at this point. He's tried to make their marriage work. They sort of have their, okay, I had an affair. She killed herself. Let's reconcile. The ghost gives Michelle Pfeiffer some more clues. She learns that it was a murder. I would have bought that, okay, I'm going to lose my career because we know right from the beginning that he's very career-focused, so maybe this is the ultimate thing that he loves and he will do anything to protect this. But does he have to kill her in such an Edgar Allan Poe manner while he's taunting her in the bathtub? And it just... Like, not only is he a murderer, but he's a monster. And not only is he a monster, but he's like a monster of Joseph Mengele proportions all of a sudden. (laughs) And she has not noticed this at any point in her marriage. Um, Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer's character seems relatively savvy and with a good head on her shoulders and able to deal with the ghosts. And yet somehow has no idea that she's been married to a sociopath for decades. I don't know... uh, Again, I think that the nutshell of the story, if you tightened it up a hell of a lot, might have made a fairly engaging enough, if fairly familiar, ghost story at, say, 90 minutes. But I believe that this movie, yes, two hours and ten minutes long. With the twist coming at about the hour mark. Um, With the pedigree of this cast and Zemeckis being very respected uh, in spite of Forrest Gump, uh, I think this should have been a lot better movie, uh, and uh, I can't, once again, cannot recommend it really to anybody. Uh, I don't know if there's any Zemeckis completists out there, and if there are, they're really self-punishers, but uh, yeah, huge thumbs down on what lies beneath. Yeah, you know? for me it seemed like a movie of the week that should be on the W Network or something like that. There's, There's... Just nothing in it that deserves the budget or the talent or the cast. It's one of those frustrating movies, though, where you can... It's a bad movie, but you can see it. It's haunted by the better movie it could have been, right? 
I'm sorry about the short notice. One of our staff took unexpected sick leave two nights ago. I honestly didn't think we'd have to replace her. How many children are still here? Just eight. They are especially quiet today. Hi. How are you? We're sick. What's your name? Be careful with that girl. She can be a bit difficult. The locks. They were talking to Charlotte. Who's Charlotte? She's different. She's mechanical. Do you know where she is? Upstairs. Why don't you believe me? It's possible. Okay, next up we have a film called Fragile, which is uh, one of these movies that I picked up for $2, having never heard of it. But I, I, I gambled that it would be worth my investment. And I think it kind of was worth $2. <laughs> uh, it stars Mrs. Han Solo herself, Calista <laughs> Flockhart, as a nurse who comes to uh, uh, Mercy Falls Children's Hospital to do the last few night shifts before they uh, empty it of its patients forever. And mysterious goings-on take place. Matthew Risling, what did you think of Fragile? Well, this is... Uh, Fragile is a great movie in the tradition of low-budget uh, ghost movies that rely on but do something good with um, location. So, I mean, quite like the movie Session 9, not yes. Session 8, <laughs> you know, where the mental hospital is really the star of that movie. Um, real place, yeah. Yeah, and this children's hospital, uh, I mean, it's a real building. I don't know if it was a children's hospital. It was some sort of hospital on the Isle of Wight or whatever it yeah. is. Um, I mean, it's the it's the kind of location that just walking down the halls is it's creepy, creepy because you just assume there's some sort of horrifying ghost there. Um, and it's it's more of a mood-driven movie than a plot-driven movie necessarily. Um, but I think it had an appropriate amount of plot for 90 minutes as mm-hmm. well. Um, it's low-budget. It's from the Fangoria series. Uh, so, I mean, you don't have any expectations of greatness but at the same time this kind of obscurity again I'm going to come back to it uh, it's the kind of thing that can really make a ghost movie pop for me uh, when it feels less like a movie and you can really just put yourself in that setting and you don't even need to see a ghost to be sort of peeing yourself walking down those hallways you know that you will see something scary and your anticipation of it works for you Um, yeah it is uh, released under the Fangoria Fright Fest but they basically pick these movies most of them independent low budget movies put their brand on it and help for the distribution is basically it Um, the director whose name I'm about to massacre I'm going to say Wam Belajaro uh, directed a really, uh, I thought, pretty entertaining Spanish zombie movie called Wreck. And uh, there's a couple sequels and apparently a fourth one on the way. Uh, it's a found footage zombie movie that really goes for the throat and it's a good time. And uh, I'm impressed that the same director made this film because this is a completely different animal and pretty effective as well. Yeah. Uh, it's atmospheric. I've got no beefs with the performances for the most part. Creepy children. The, there's creepy little kids, but uh, the ghost, the little girl ghost, or the mechanical girl as she's called, has a really kind of frightening look to her. And uh, the mystery or that that was asked to be solved is not as obvious as I was kind of expecting. I honestly was 
I wasn't holding my nose while I was watching the movie, but I wasn't expecting a lot from the movie. And the deeper into it we got, the more engaged I was. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, When I first started watching it, I wasn't overly impressed. Uh, There were parts that I thought could have been trimmed down a little bit. You know, there's uh, scenes with some of the nurses outside the hospital that I'm not hundred percent sure had to be there it was at 90 minutes um i think at 60 or 70 it would have been been intensely good it was concentrated horror there were times when uh it sort of lost the plot a little bit um the actress with the second billing uh elena anaya with her accent yeah. yeah i mean you pointed this out i think this is the the perfect way to say it there is something about the way that she talked that seemed overdubbed every yeah. time you saw her say something uh you just imagined that she was speaking italian and then you had some very bad voice actress um putting words awkwardly you know against uh, forcing words into her mouth yeah <laughs> Yeah, uh, and I wasn't entirely sure of her role in the movie, uh, what she did. I guess she was a bit of a tour guide at the beginning of the movie. Well, was she, though? Because there was another nurse. There was a third nurse at the beginning who I think could have been the tour guide. I'm I'm not too sure what she was doing, and I wonder if she's maybe uh, an actress of some significance overseas. Possibly. Was sweet on the director or something like that. I mean, uh, yeah, I guess her character believes what's going on and yet is forcing herself to deny it is the whole point of that character. But not at all interesting compared to what Celeste Flockhart's character is doing, who's actively pursuing it. Well, Uh, and wasn't everybody else at the hospital, the the handsome doctor, the uh, matronly head nurse or whatever she was, they were also forcing themselves... Uh, not to believe that there was a ghost. So, I mean, had sh- had this uh, Elena Anaya character not been in the movie, uh, I'm not sure we that would anything her. would have been different. Yeah. Anyway, enough about her. <laughs> um, I, I think another thing that I liked about the movie is that a lot of the uh, scares and the violence were directed towards children, and in such a way as to, you know, very uncomfortable. Uh, the kid had a very weak bones or the ghost had very weak bones and uh, I guess as the story of the the movie progresses we found out her nurse so enjoyed looking after her became so obsessed with her that even though they were actually making headway with her illness she was intentionally breaking the girl's legs again and again to get her to stay and the ghost upon realizing that the hospital is emptying out starts hurting the children trying to get them to stay so these kids are getting these brutal compound <laughs> fractures from this ghost, and that's uh, a little darker than I was expecting. And the fact that the violence is directed so specifically at the children gave the movie a little bit of uh, horror. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are, there are uh, really two adults, I think just two, that the ghost kills, uh, and mm-hmm. they, they don't go too softly into that good night but they don't get tortured the way that these children do and I mean uh, I I don't know I was imagining those little rascals movies from the 1930s (laughs) where they would actually inflict pain on children so they could give a convincing performance Um, these kids were as convincing I'm not accusing the director of anything for legal (laughs) reasons Uh, but you know I bought that kid at the beginning who's screaming as his legs are snapping apart yeah Oh, 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing that, you know, a bad child actor will undo. <coughs> a bad child actor will undo a lot of your work. Yeah. Like, uh, and no, the, all of the kids did really well in the movie. Yeah, and that precocious little girl, I think, was just precocious enough. Yeah. She was not, um, she didn't stand out. And one could believe that she's an adult-focused little girl because most of her social life is doctors and nurses. Yeah. And, and um, you know, she's adult enough to convey information, but she doesn't seem like um, some clever screenwriter putting inappropriate words into a kid's mouth. I mean, again, um, you know, I, I, bought, I bought her performance. Yeah. Uh, as you were saying, one of the victims of the go of the ghost. So we're not exactly sure what role this guy plays. He didn't seem to be a doctor. He seemed to be like a all-purpose gopher, the big sort of bald-headed black guy who uh, gives the starts starts Callisto off on her tour at the beginning of the movie, and uh, who they go out of their way to make us like. Which for me red flagged him right yeah. away. <laughs> oh, we really like him. He's always so friendly Showing and nice. Showing that cartoon not, to the children, yeah. and bringing laughter into their worlds. <laughs> He seems to care and know everybody's name, and yeah, we like this dude. He is so fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he was. Uh, the The bone breaks actually did kind of. Well, they've always bothered me. Uh, I find most Steven Seagal movies horrifying on several <laughs> levels. <laughs> but, yeah, maybe for different reasons. Yeah, exactly. But uh, any anything involving people's bones snapping into me, instant horror movie qualification for me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was very effective. Yeah. No, it. I mean, maybe because I was watching it uh, side by side with other movies that I didn't like so much, uh, it may seem like I'm singing its praises uh, over a bit. <laughs> perhaps more than it it deserves. It's not an A A plus movie, um, but it's very solid for what it does. Um, I would put it sort of mid high range. Um, Again, there are moments when it drags a little bit. There are moments when it's a little bit predictable. There are moments when there are elements that we can't really tell what's going on. Um, I'm going to come back to the twist again. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's one of the things that you can do so well with, with ghost movies, and it's something that the genre really lends itself to. The twist is that the ghost was this crazy nurse, not the little girl. I'm not sure that that really changed much. I yeah. don't know that the movie would have been any less scary had it been the little girl. The little girl just looked scarier, but yeah, she was just a little girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think a lot of the other movies out of these six, too, seem to have these rich production values, uh, especially, you know, What Lies Beneath Zemeckis was playing with the camera a lot, trying to, you know, trying to get... Uh, really good cinematography in there to make up for the fact that there weren't very many scares. This movie was not uh, as well put together necessarily as some of the other movies. But the scares were there, and that's what I came for. And, uh, yeah, I got my money's worth. Two dollars? Sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say it was a pleasant surprise. I had never heard of it. I mean, um, I guess White Noise I hadn't heard of. I had heard of... Um, what was the second one? What Lies Beneath? What lies beneath yeah. I heard of it, not seen it. Ghost, obviously, I'd heard of it, not seen it. Uh, Fragile, I knew absolutely nothing about going in. I went in with low expectations, and I was impressed. I thought um, 
it was an enjoyable movie to watch. I'm happy to hear that. So uh, you, this wasn't an entirely unpleasant experience. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about that? Uh, no. Let's move on to the next one. Wait, sweetie, don't run, don't run. Get stuck in here, huh? Look, mommy, I'm gonna reach the ceiling. What's that? There's a leak in my bedroom ceiling. I can hear that there's someone running water upstairs. Did you say upstairs? There hasn't been anyone up there for years. So I went into the elevator and... Okay, um, we're going to move on to Dark Water. Um, this is... <laughs> A film, as you described, about a, a father whose uh, custody battle gets uh, gets helped by with the uh, help of a mischievous little girl spirit. It's sort of like a Casper the Friendly Ghost sort of character. <laughs> you know the Casper joke, right? At the beginning of every episode of Casper the Friendly jo- Ghost, he's lonesome and wants a friend. And at the end of every episode, he has a friend. What happens between episodes? Actually, that is well in keeping with the personality of our creepy little girl from Dark Water. This seemed to be very Casperish for a while, and she makes friends with this lonely little girl. Um, but I guess well, well, then she tries to drown her in the bathtub. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a star-studded ghost movie. I guess you were talking before about having a really flashy, sort of recognizable cast, sort of taking away from the fright, but. You know, Jennifer Connelly, who uh, was, had recently won an Academy Award, Tim Roth, John C. Riley, Doug Ray Scott, the late great Pete Postlethwaite. Like, there are some cool people in this uh, this ghost story. No, I agree. And um, I mean, one of the things that this has going for it, cast-wise, is it's got uh, three and a half character actors, depending on how you want to classify um, Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. Uh, Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford. Michelle Pfeiffer is Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, Michael Keaton is Michael Keaton. But Tim Roth will disappear and do it, and John C. Riley can disappear. And do yeah, that. Pete Postlewaite. Um, yeah, I mean he was good as the sleazy Eastern European handyman. Uh, I didn't see Gandhi. Or who, no, wait, he wasn't Gandhi. Who was he? Uh, what's he famous for? James and the Giant Peach. Roald Dahl, what do you mean? Or, or Pete Postlethwaite? Yeah. Um, well, the uh, usual suspects, I think, was the one that sort of put him on the map uh, on this side of the ocean. He was also in uh, In the Name of the Father. In the Name of the Father. Uh, the Daniel Day-Lewis film about... Uh, yeah, I never saw, never saw it. it. No, I try uh, not to watch boring movies. blah de blah de blah Anyway, Pete Postlethwaite, it was one of his last roles, and it was a pretty solid one. Yep. Um, so anyway, I didn't find it that distracting. Okay, not in this case. No. Yeah. Um, Jennifer Connelly, who I have a, a fairly uh, rich knowledge base of, uh, I remember saying this when she was a young actress that you know she is beautiful, but she will never win an Oscar. And boy, was I proved wrong about that because she is an Academy Award-winning actress, and uh, I can understand how this role would appeal to her. I mean. Uh, it's sort of a classic ghost story type environment. She gets to be the strong uh, uber mother, 
Yeah, the perfect but mother who is neglected is as a child. That's where I'm going with this. And is it a problem with the movie? Uh, so just in advance here, I think in order to really properly discuss this movie, we are going to have to get deep into spoiler territory because uh, I think it's interesting and worth discussing where, where this movie goes. I thought we were spoiling all of these movies, actually. <laughs> I, I apologize to our audience. No, I yeah. put a spoiler warning at the top of the okay. show. You can talk about whatever you like. Okay. But, uh I try not to give away the third act unless I feel like well, there's valid discussion to be had on it, but blah, whatever. Jennifer Connelly, uh, having separated from her husband, brings her daughter to the spooky uh, apartment building. Here. And actually, it's not quite spooky to begin with. It's sleazy. Yeah. It's, it's, um... John C. Riley does a really good job of your typical scumbag fake, uh, you know, He's sort of like the used car salesman vibe of a landlord. Uh, he seems really friendly and nice, but you know it's all just it's all just bullshit. It's all surface. He wants to get your money every month, and he wants you to not call him. That's that's who he is. Yeah, and the, I mean the apartment complex. Um, I mean it creates this atmosphere of desperation. I think a, a believable atmosphere of desperation. I've lived in some terrible places in my life, and this could compete with the most <laughs> terrible places I've lived. And I'm not even sure as uh, a not-so-young man who's, you know, I'm not going through a custody battle, I'm not uh, as desperate as she is, um, but I would never live in that place if I had the choice, right? right. This is where you've bottomed out. Uh, this is where you end up, this isn't where you go, right? Yeah, I absolutely, I, I get it. But, I mean, it's well realized. The movie is very well made. I mean, they obviously spent some money. There's some love put into this. Um, now you said the origins of this tale. Are you familiar with the author? This is the same author of The Ring. Yeah, Koji Suzuki. Okay. Um, and uh, you said that the, it was a book of short stories of which this was just one, or they just sort of took thematic elements from It's not really based necessarily on one specific text. No, I mean, this This was one of the stories uh, in in uh, the book. I mean, they, they've taken some liberties. Uh, I mean, they took some liberties, presumably, I haven't seen the Japanese movie, but presumably they take liberties of adapting it into film in Japanese, um, and then Another when it goes to Hollywood. Taken, yeah. so, it's a game of uh, telephone after yeah, a while. <laughs> yeah, so it loses some fields that way, but, I mean, it's not. it doesn't do violence to the original text. Right. Um, the rain and water imagery. I mean, obviously the movie is called Dark Water, but I don't think there's an exterior shot in the film where it's not pouring rain. <laughs> is, uh, is this just pathetic fallacy? Why do you think this is always an instrument used in these ghost movies? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I don't know New York. This is this is set in New York. Yeah. Um, you know, having lived in Vancouver for about uh, ten years, you know the Pacific Northwest. You can imagine that there are months where it just continues to rain and yeah. everything gets moldy and mildewy. And and um, for me, that was ringing true, except for that. Had this been set in Seattle or Portland or something, I could have it would have been more believed it. I'm not sure that New York 
does that. I think New York is one of those places that rains itself out and doesn't do this for months at a time. And the film is, of course, saturated with water imagery. See what I did there, Matthew? Yeah, <laughs> um, very clever. There's a, a, a stain, a wa- obviously a water stain, starts appearing in the ceiling in her daughter's room. That's one of the Which first is her ominous room signs. Well. Yeah, 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 that's their room. <laughs> um, and I do find it interesting just how flooded that place upstairs is when we see it for this tiny little spot to be showing up. It's got a full on swimming pool going on above her. Um, all of the pieces do connect to solving the mystery because. Um, Typically in these ghost stories, you know, the Hardy Boys will find the the, the bones of the the victim, and uh, it will get a proper burial, and everybody goes home happy. Uh, and in this case, this is a little girl who drowned in the water tank, which is the supply for the building. Um, and the little girl is lonely and wants a mother, and she really latches on to Jennifer Connelly. Is Jennifer Connelly's character completely crazy at the beginning of the movie, do you think? Uh, I mean, is this sort of a Shining-like position where she was already fragile when she got there and the ghost kind of uses this to their advantage? Um, there mean, is some desperation to her. Like, My complaint, actually, is that she wasn't crazy enough. Right? Really? The establishing shot is her as a little girl... Um, waiting for her mom to pick her up. Abandonment issues. Yeah, and her mom comes and she picks her up and she's not happy to see her. She drags her into the car violently. Um, We learn, I think her father was an alcoholic or her mother was an alcoholic or something. She was neglected, probably abused. Um, And she just seems, I mean, she's desperate. It seems like she's going through a rough time. But she doesn't seem rattled enough. She seems too stable. She's the perfect mother and sort of perfectly together. Um, Up until the point she abandons her daughter. Jennifer Conley? Yes. You're, you're spoiling? <laughs> well, we were, that's what we already talked about, right? She's the uber mother until... Well, even then, I think she's just too perfect a mother, right? Her daughter's getting drowned in the bathtub right. by this ghost that wants a mommy. So she takes one for the team and says to the ghost, I'll be your mommy for eternity if you let my daughter live. So, And we've just had this, what should have been, uh, I mean, the scene would have been too much. Uh, her reconciliation sort of with her ex-husband who's yeah. been tormenting her throughout the movie. All of a sudden, he becomes a good guy. Yeah. Right before she sacrifices herself, so her we daughter have to be can... okay with the daughter ending up with her husband, right? Yeah. Uh, and clearly, he cheated on her. It was his fault that the divorce went uh, south. Well, yeah. not just that. I mean, he was paying neighborhood punks to threaten her with sexual assault in the right. laundry room. I mean, right. he's going pretty far. Right. But then all of a sudden, we can like him conveniently before she makes the ultimate sacrifice, and mm. it was just. She was a little bit too perfect, and it was a little bit too tidy, and I, there was no, like, she didn't, she seemed like a desperate person, but she didn't seem like a person who dealt with a lifetime of trauma. It seemed like she was just too much of a perfect mother, um, and I, I was having a hard time buying her backstory a little bit, maybe. Right. Uh, 
if it, I wonder if it was an underexplored aspect of the screenplay, or if maybe an actress had more teeth would would sink her teeth into it a little bit more. I don't know. Well, see, I see it as a directorial thing, uh, just as much, or maybe a screenwriter thing. But it's like they were afraid to sully the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, if she had been a mediocre person, but maybe a good mother, or maybe this little ghost girl is just so desperate for anybody that she'll take anybody. But she was just too golden. It could have been less white hat, black hat. Yeah. The, 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 the relationship. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. No. Um, overall, I would say I like the movie. We haven't even really talked about Tim Roth. I actually quite enjoyed Tim Roth's sort of uh, lawyer working out of his car, but mm-hmm. does actually give a shit sort of character. Um, and actually, I mean, he was another element that... Like, so much of this movie, to me, wasn't about ghosts. I'm going to say it again. It was about desperation. Every yeah. character in it seems desperate. Even the uh, John C. Riley, the the shyster. You don't envy him his life. <laughs> no, he, he just seems so pathetic. And when we realize that Pete Postlewaite, through his uh, negligence, has caused the death of this little girl, he gets taken away. You don't feel like justice is done. You just yeah. feel like this is a guy who had a shitty life and things are going to get shittier. Um, Tim Roth, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's a good lawyer. He's working from his car. She calls him uh, on the phone about, uh, Jennifer Conley calls him on the phone uh, about some emergency. He says he's at the movie with his family. We learn later that he's watching the movie by himself. And there's something desperate about him, too. And that's, that's one of the things that I really liked about it is that there's this sense of just desperation oozing from everywhere um, but not really a sense of spooky desperation I mean, it seemed more like a an allegory than a, a, a spooky ghost yeah. movie there's a couple of boo moments to be found but I'm no one's going to lose any sleep when they watch Dark Water um, it's a fairly archetypical ghost story in a lot of ways <laughs> like um I didn't mean to, to, to so shit talk Jennifer Connelly as an actress. I do think that she has come a long way from her younger uh, years of, of you know labyrinth and phenomenon. Um, I, I think she's a solid anchor to the movie, but uh, um, I don't. I mean, again, with her being too perfect, I have a hard time imagining who they could have cast instead of her yeah. that wouldn't be fine. I mean, she was fine. She yeah. was good enough. Anybody would have been good enough. Um, it's maybe not her fault. Maybe it's directorial. Maybe it's script related. Um, I mean, she was. She got the most uh, screen time, and she was the one that did it for me the least. Okay. Yeah. And not uh, so, like not in support. a way that I wasn't ogling her, as I'm sure yeah, uh, you were as well. I was ogling her the whole time, but uh, just as far oh, as we need early '90s Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, uh, that when she still then had all the brush, all of the blood runs away from my brain. It's yeah. sad. Anyway, is there anything else you want to say about Dark Water? Uh, there was. Oh yeah, um, this is so Koji Suzuki, the guy that wrote the book, same guy that did The Ring. Uh, The Ring, I thought, was far superior, but one of the things that they had in common that I think was good uh, was, you know, say two-thirds of the way through or a little bit further, the mystery of the ghost is solved. They take the corpse out, give it the proper burial, and then things are fine. And then the... the, um, you know, development or the big reveal is that we had sort of had it wrong 
uh, the whole time, and this ghost doesn't become benign just because we've solved the murder, and right. in fact becomes uh, more malignant. And that's something that I think was done a little bit better in The Ring, although it's kind of apples and oranges here, but right. generally a strength with the movie, that it could have wrapped up uh, in a sort of a tidy way, and they solved the mystery, but then things got... Yeah, Much there was like that one step further, but it didn't really go that one step further, really. Well, it could have. I mean, again, the little girl drowning the little girl in the bathtub, mm-hmm. that was, a, I mean, it wasn't scary exactly, but there was something sort of disturbing about it. And maybe because the daughter had had this imaginary friend who, you know, we're pretty sure throughout the movie is a real ghost, but yeah. they had been friends. So there's also this look of sort of, horror and disappointment on her face when her best friend starts drowning her. Yeah. Um, that that was sort of a powerful shot for me. And I suppose um, a little kid that doesn't ruin the movie. She was precocious, maybe a little bit more precocious than I would have preferred, right. but not too much. And her face said a lot in the, in the climactic scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think, like, the interesting, or the darker twist, if uh, you were going to go with the ending of this movie, which I was almost anticipating because of the ring. Uh, there is a little coda where the little girl realizes that her mother is in the building and is a ghost and is still there, still her mom. Um, and Totally unnecessary. Totally unnecessary. Such a saccharine moment. But I would have gone the other way personally. What if she made this sacrifice, she saved her daughter to be with this ghost, and she hated it. This this little ghost was this terrible, evil, little malign spirit that she was doomed, trapped in this building with. If it was less of a happy ending and more of a tragic one, it might have given you a little bit more of a punch. Who knows? Or, I mean, there's such a theme in the movie about little girls whose mothers hate them, and this, yeah. that's Jennifer Conley. And the, that's her the, worst dream, is to become that. Right? Yeah, and the same thing with that little Russian girl who's the ghost. I mean, what if... At the end, Jennifer Conley prefers this new kid to her biological kid. Right. You know, there's this, the final scene is this shunning or neglect, and and you know the the cycle continues. Yeah. It would just, I'm not sure that. I mean, if I had written it, it I'm not sure that, that kind of movie. I yeah. guess. but I mean, I, I, I guess. I was looking for that ending because of the ring. That's just a little spillover from having seen too many movies of this type. Yeah. A man who's only believed... Psychic phenomena. Does it exist? ...is in the science of reason. Your book denies its existence. There are no ghosts. ...has been invited... They want you to come and investigate. ...to a house of mystery. Nanny is convinced that Mother comes back here every night. There are spirits in this house. Do you think she's imagining everything? Don't you? To explain how illusions... You're awfully brave. ...can seem to be real. You feel you don't know how to explain anything, do you? I wonder how I could have gone so long without you. To accept that the dead... You mean to tell me that you see nothing? ...can come back to life. You're my salvation. I beg you. I don't trust anyone or anything in this house. Once you've seen through his eyes... ...you will believe. So, quite a few years ago, I believe it was still in the 1900s... 
1995, to be specific. Yeah, well, it was probably a few years after that that I caught up with this movie. I, I, I watched this film Haunted on television. With the dreamy Kate Beckinsale, who I did have a crush on. She was uh, in Brenna's version of Must Do About Nothing, and uh, she's sort of an up-and-coming Brit actress. This was before The Underworld, before she sort of became a much more well-known actress. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is a film about uh, sort of a professional skeptic, I guess, played by uh, Aidan Quinn, who likes to disprove bullshit that he sees uh, people peddling wares having to do with whatever, tarot card readings, psychics, and whatnot. And he is called to uh, investigate a haunting at the... Yeah, and, and so it begins, I think, importantly with him as a little kid in 1908. Okay, uh, yes. And his beloved twin sister uh, drowns in a, in a lake or a pond. Uh, it's a death that he feels responsible for. Uh, and at the viewing of her body in her during her funeral, he sees her move or make a face or something. And so um, she does something ghosty. And so one gets the sense that his skeptical sort of disproving of all supernatural phenomena... It's all him denying that moment. Yeah. So the bulk of the movie takes place sometime in the interwar period, maybe the 1930s. Um, he's... British, but after his sister died, grew up in the States and then moved back to Oxford or Cambridge or something. He's just written an influential book uh, denying the existence of ghosts um, and people are sort of putting him to the test. This book is a bestseller and it's sort of attracting the attention of people that want uh, yeah, sort of like a Harry Houdini figure that want him to either prove or disprove uh, psychic or um, supernatural phenomena. Mm -hmm. This is the only period piece, I guess. Most of the films that we looked at are fairly modern in nature. Uh, and uh, it, had, it does have a familiar classic haunted house vibe to it. Uh, it's an environment that we've been in before and that we will be in again. It's also got a familiar archetype in its sort of built-in twist, which we can get into, I guess, later on. Um, but at the time that I watched this movie, uh, this sort of... Uh, subterfuge was less familiar than it is now. <laughs> um, and I think that's probably the reason that, that worked so well for me when I first saw it. Um, does the twist work for you? Like, uh, I, I think that's sort of what makes or breaks the movie. I mean, there's some good scenes to be found in between. There's some stunt Kate Beckinsale movie, but really, it, it all hangs on, on what you think of the third act. Yeah, I actually, I didn't have a problem with the, the uh, third act. It's hard to say if, that would, if it would have shocked me back in 1995. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't shock me exactly. I, I mean, I sort of guessed it a couple of minutes before the reveal, but it wasn't obvious throughout. Should we say what it is? That the, we might as well. Okay. Uh, a, a, a lot of the characters that we interact with in the movie are ghosts, in spite of the fact that we don't know this until the end of the movie. Uh, he's asked to investigate this old house uh, by this woman who owns it, this elderly lady, who we believe to be sort of a crazy old crone. Um, and, uh, you know, 
there's this exotic, beautiful Kate Beckinsale, very attractive, very enchanting woman, and her crazy brothers. With whom she has uh, 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 an incestuous affair with the oldest, probably not the youngest brother. Yeah. Um, but they're all very rich, eccentric uh, people, and that's sort of how we, we, we write off their strange behavior. And there's a country doctor, uh, sort of an old, austere gentleman that uh, looks in on the old woman and gives her pills, yeah. tries to calm her nerves. Yeah. And so in the third act, we find out everybody except for, for the old lady is a ghost. Has been a ghost. And uh, actually, the doctor character you're talking about is uh, Sir John Gilgood in one of his last roles. Um, Who was maybe, of all the elements of the twist that didn't work for me, I couldn't figure out why there was a ghost doctor. Because the siblings were ghosts because the they belonged to, to the house and they died together and they mm-hmm. had their family trauma. But then they're like... I don't know, is this just a coincidence that maybe the doctor died of something traumatic and happened to be a ghost living next door, so they ghosted together? Like, what was it that brought him into the And how consciously are these ghosts tormenting this woman? Uh, Because... I I think consciously, um, because at the end when Aidan Quinn finds out their secret, they're consciously tormenting him. Right. uh, And because it was the old lady that had killed them, I can't quite tell if she killed them at the age they are now when they're ghosts or sometimes young, sometime younger. Right. Um, but, you know, there there was a point where, you know, the leader of the evil ghosts said to her, you know, we're, we're done with you now. Yeah. Uh, and in a, a great moment of 1995 uh, animation, they ghosted her to death. In yes. A, a very ridiculous looking scene of spinning her around uh, somehow. Yes, uh, and again, this I believe this is almost like a direct-to-video type of film. There is almost a made-for-TV quality to some of it, but I still found the story effective. And like I said, at the time I first saw this movie, we hadn't seen dozens of movies where this thing had happened again, you know, The Sixth Sense or Secret Window or all of these movies about people who are crazy but don't realize it until the third act or, or people who are ghosts but don't realize it until the third act uh, it's it's overused now um, but I think for the time it's a completely adequate exercise in sort of a spiritual ghost story um, well yeah and I, I mean I hadn't read the novel that it was based on but right. I mean it's it was a novel written in the golden age of ghost stories sometime in the again in the interwar period um, written by James Herbert yeah Herbert. you know great manor house olden days aristocratic ghosts I mean everything felt right about it I mean it wasn't it wasn't the best movie or the most interesting ghost movie ever, but it was well put together and just felt like I was watching a good old-fashioned ghost movie. Yeah. I am also a big fan of the skeptic character being present in these ghost movies and sort of having to confront their their lack of belief in some way. I consider myself to be a very skeptical person, but it would be really interesting to round that corner and actually see a ghost in a room and what that would do to me. And I, I, I like that perspective of the movie. I like what a hard line he took on uh, spirituality and how you know he has no choice but to be invested in it at the end because... 
he has slept with a ghost at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and I mean, speaking of sleeping with the the ghost, this was there was something about the energy, and it would maybe just the sexual energy between me and Kate Beckinsale. <laughs> I, I think it was between him and Kate Beckinsale. I think they had a, a good chemistry, and there was something about that, and sort of the jealousy of her older brother, even before we learned that they have an incestuous relationship. Right. But there's something about this sexual energy that added energy to the movie somehow, and, yeah. and kept it tense uh, in moments where it could have gone a little bit flat. I mean... Yeah. Looking at movies that are too long, uh, you know, we discussed what lies beneath. Yeah. There is no energy or relationship between any two characters in that movie. Um, there's nothing... I mean, ideally, a ghost movie could also be a good character uh, movie as well. Um, and this is one of the ones where when the ghost stuff starts to lag a little bit, mm -hmm. some of the personal relationships pick up the slack... And then when they start to, you know, we we sort of get the idea. We don't need to see too many rollicking scenes in a barn. Then things get ghosty again. It, it was a nice balance. And there's... A lot of times in horror movies, the romantic angle is sort of shoehorned in. Yeah. Uh, I think in a ghost story, you got a little bit more leeway because it's they're so archetypical. There's a, a formula to be played here, so it kind of helps to have something else to bounce off of. But I was also happy they didn't go there. I kind of sort of felt seeds of a relationship starting with uh, Tim Roth and Jennifer Connelly in the in the Dark Water movie. But I was just as happy that they didn't go to the romantic level with that. But uh, yeah, Kate Kate Beckinsale, even at even you know young in her career, she was very attractive, very <laughs> very engaging to watch on screen. You know, uh, you got why he was attracted to her. <laughs> Completely. Yeah, uh, yeah. No question. <laughs> Does it get warmer in here? Just yeah. like, <laughs> should, uh, sitting too close to the fire. Anyway, overall, I would say that yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of Haunted. It's a relatively obscure uh, title, but uh, if you like a decent ghost story, it's worth looking up. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, it was the last thing I watched before I went to bed last night. It didn't give me nightmares or anything. It's not particularly scary but you know it's it's interesting all of the way through and it's well done um it's another one like fragile where the setting does a lot of the work for it and to yeah. be in this country manner it just feels like there ought to be ghosts there and there if there are ghosts this is the type of place where they're gonna be yeah seems like uh, whenever anything good in my life happens i'm just afraid i'm gonna lose it really love you. What do you want? Get out the Somebody! Somebody! Somebody help us! Ah! What's happening? It's like I think about you every minute. It's like I can still feel you. The problem with you is you still think you're real. It's all up here now. You want to move something, you got to move it with your mind. <laughs> Molly, why can't you hear me? Who is that? You can hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, Sam Wheat, say my name, say it. Leave me alone! Say my name. Who say me? Say Hello? I get a message from Sam. All right, this is saving... 
I was about to say saving the best for last, but uh, this is the most popular title uh, of all of these by a significant margin. In in 1990, Ghost was one of the highest box office hits of the year and a surprise one. Apparently, a lot of actors have said no. They had to settle on Patrick Swayze, if you can believe that, <laughs> as the lead. Um there's a lot of anomalous things about this movie. In fact, typically this is not a really A-list cast for me, uh, being one of them. And the fact that it's directed by Jerry Zucker of the Zucker Brothers of Airplane and Hot Shots fame. This is a pretty straight-up, legit Hollywood movie, and it's pretty well made. Um, I think they had a good director of photography. Yeah, they definitely had a great DOP. Uh what I will give this movie points for, and I'm guessing that I liked it more than you did from our previous conversations, is that I really liked that we stuck with Sam. This movie, Ghost, is about somebody dying and the experience of being a ghost. And we basically stay with Sam from the moment he dies until the end of the movie. And I like that perspective on it. It wasn't the same thing that we saw in all these other movies about people hearing weird sounds and trying to figure out First, is there a ghost? And second, what does that ghost want? Does it have the familiar element of the ghost trying to avenge its own death? Yes, it does. And does it have an infamous sex scene with the, uh, involving, you know, clay? <laughs> yes, it does. Well, I mean, and this is one of the unexpected, uh, unexpectedly positive things that I'm going to say about this movie. Uh, it created an iconic scene in cinematic history. People you love that can't... for some reason. I mean, you just couldn't sit at a potter's wheel without imagining Patrick Swayze wrapping his strong arms around you and just feeling safe for the first time. Yeah. Uh, and this movie, uh, among many other things, made Demi Moore's career. She would be quite the popular figure in movies and in tabloids for many years to follow this, in spite of following this up with possibly one of the worst movies of the 90s. Uh, what did she follow? Nothing up? But Trouble. I liked Nothing But Trouble Watch it a again. lot more than I liked Ghost. Watch but. it again. <laughs> yeah, but uh, anyway, we're not talking about Nothing But Trouble. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought, I think Demi Moore's career is basically based on her ability to cry at will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really do. But think, then so is Meryl Streep's, and she's considered one of the greatest actresses in history. I don't history. know. Meryl Streep's got, some, got more game than Demi Moore. I think that's, that's glib, Matthew Risling. <laughs> no, that's one of the things she's famous for. She is good at crying, but she's also good at accents and, you know, characters <laughs> and diverse parts. <laughs> Demi Moore is Demi Moore is Demi Moore, I think, but that's me. Uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't have too much good to say about her performance. Um, I mean, I guess this is twenty three years old now. Uh, as we discussed last night or last time we spoke, uh, we were both really thrown by how much she looked like a little kid. Yeah, she looked like a twelve year old boy for some reason. But I don't she know. spoke like a ninety year old smoker. Yeah. And there's this weird disjunction between seeing this face of, you know, pure youthful innocence. <laughs> yeah, Patrick Swayze, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think he's horrible in this movie. I mean, he's Patrick Swayze, but... He's fine. He's completely adequate to the role. And it's a very passive role, a lot, lot of it. Once he becomes a ghost, he's largely a witness to the things that are going on. Uh, unless a participant. Um, but what I really enjoy are some of the great 
actors that show up in small supporting roles, two of which I would give special mention to. Vincent Schiavelli as the subway ghost. Who did a great job. He did a fantastic job. And Stephen Root, and probably one of the first films that I remember seeing him in, at least the earliest film I remember seeing him in. I'd completely forgotten he was in the movie when I watched it again the other day. And there's our boy Stephen Root as this police detective who is actually nice to this woman who is, he believes, being swindled by a... By a con artist. Yeah, and he was, you know, he was fine. Completely fine. It was a small role, but he did a good job of it. Vincent Schiavelli has much more to do, but he has, again, much more meaty, interesting character. Although the more screen time he gets, the less interesting he becomes. Yeah. Uh, I found he got a little bit annoying after a while where he's, you know, when he starts screaming... You know, they they won't believe me. They don't understand. And Patrick Swayze is saying, you know, what won't they believe? Yeah. You just don't get it. <laughs> what don't I get? <laughs> and, you know, there's that sort of tired 90s thing where you have an intense character. And he's readable as intense because yeah. he won't answer direct questions. <laughs> uh, and it did start to get a little bit annoying after a and while. And we got it right away. They didn't even have to give us all the information they did. Clearly he killed himself. <laughs> Clearly he's crazy and uh, he's in some sort of limbo universe. The uh, afterlife uni- world that we see, then the few ghosts that he does encounter are kind of interesting, I thought. Uh, the old guy in the hospital waiting for his wife to die, uh, or the the woman, uh, the other ghost who recognizes him as a ghost at his own funeral and waves to him. Just little touches like that surprised me. I, I quite liked them. Like uh, they explore the afterlife world in ways that few other movies do. I mean, what other examples do we have? What dreams may come? <laughs> like. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of wish fulfillment in going on here. Is you know, good ghosts get led up to a perfectly lovely world, and bad ghosts get dragged to a nether world and whatnot. But uh, I don't know. I like seeing it from the ghost perspective. I and really did. So I'm going to say that the afterlife that they created in this movie made the movie make no sense whatsoever. Uh, and there comes a point where it's impossible not to see it as just wasting my time for some dumb reason. Hmm. Because Patrick Swayze becomes a ghost, and he's in love with this Demi Moore character, and he realizes when he's a ghost he can go around being Patrick Swayze. Um, You know, he solves the mystery, he can affect... He can move physical objects when he wants to enough. (laughs) Um, And... You know, and then he learns that his best friend uh, is responsible for his death. Which, by the way, is obvious from the initial shot of the movie. The the (laughs) very first scene where the three of them are hammering away on that wall is just clear. He's going to get killed by this other guy. That there's this love triangle, and obviously this is what's happened. But so he's trying to protect uh, this woman that he loves, and until, I guess until he learns that he can move things and affect the world. There's some tension because he wants to keep her alive. And so he's trying to, you know, this psychic character, Whoopi Goldberg, he's trying to get her to call the cops or whatever, protect Demi Moore. But he can also protect Demi Moore in a way. I mean, she's got a ghost bodyguard, for Christ's sakes. And (laughs) it's better than a taser or a dog. You've got this, it amounts to a superhero that's just beating up these hapless guys. I mean, what chance could they possibly have it would have been at this point a more interesting movie from the villain's point of view to you know what could he possibly do against this 
ghost that you know hates him and is so powerful um you know where is the tension and and you know he he finally sort of gets some leverage over Patrick Swayze because he says, you know, he learns that there's this ghost, Sam's there, and, you know, Sam, if you don't back off and get me my money, I'm going to kill her. Well, so kill her. Yeah, well, let's just hang out as ghosts and fight crime together or something. (laughs) Like, what's what's the worst that could happen? This this is the least tense movie that I can imagine making. Uh, I thought you were going to go with the fact that since he avenged his own lo- death, that when the instead of the light taking him away, he should have been dragged away to the demons versus petty well, revenge. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I felt much more pathos for the bad guy. So when he was taken away to the demons, it was just... I just don't know. More I felt like guy. evil was being punished. But this is like, uh, again, it's it, it's... But he's the only one that there might have been some dimension to. You know, he's embezzling money because he owes it to the mob or something. We're not quite sure. Yeah. But, he, I mean, he's motivated by fear. It's not that... It's not He greed. didn't want to kill his his buddy. Yeah. But he did seem to want to get into Demi Moore's bits. Uh, yeah, but so... And there's like, that ridiculous you? scene that I did not like with <laughs> him taking his shirt off. They go the extra mile to make him... He spills something on his shirt, so he... They're, he's compassionately talking to her, but he's got his shirt up and getting way too close. Yeah, to cards on the table. I actually fast forwarded through that scene. It made me too uncomfortable. Oh, wow. uh, so when we were watching uh, session nine together, <laughs> I have a blanket over my head because it's just getting too intensely horrific. This, you know, and too intensely uncomfortable. I just it was, it was so it's like curb your enthusiasm. Yeah. Do not take your shirt up, sir. Do not take yeah. your yeah. Uh, and she was, was falling funny. for it because she was really dumb. Yeah. And, you know, if you're Sam watching this, you can imagine really questioning what the connection was to begin yeah. with. I think that it would be only fair to give a little bit of mention to Whoopi Goldberg. She did win an Oscar for this movie. Uh, and I think she's fine in it. Um, uh, the way that she um, gets $4 million from a bank account in a humorous scene because Sam gives her some information, but they don't ask for identification or anything. I mean, she's just so 90s and stagey. I mean, right. she's, she's, she's just Whoopi Goldberg, right? She's not Whoopi Goldberg playing another character. It's, right. You know, if Whoopi Goldberg were a crooked medium and saying oh, these they words. set that up a little bit in its defense like the, sam had the inside information she had all the information that they knew and they tricked that guy at the bank into thinking that they that he'd actually met her before right that he knew her and thus the id might not have been necessary but yes for a four million dollar or whatever it was withdrawal of course id would be necessary i i get it but i mean as her her role this woman she starts out the movie and she's a fake she's a fraud uh, really horrible person taking advantage of sad people, essentially. And she's got a rap seat. Stephen Root's character shows us she's got a history and she's been busted for it. But she can legitimately hear Sam, and that changes her life. Then the second time Sam goes to visit her, she's just got dozens of ghosts banging at her door to talk, and uh, she's driven kind of crazy by it. I don't know. I thought there was some good comic relief. And while she was on screen, I wasn't watching Demi Moore cry again. 
you know. <laughs> so. Okay, well, then I'll give you that. I mean, that was something Whoopi, B- Whoopi Goldberg brought to the table. She was we get less a Demi Moore. from Demi Moore. Uh, that's a left-handed compliment, if ever there was. But, uh, but, I mean, and this is going anachronistic, but there's a larger point here. What happens to Whoopi Goldberg with the ghost desperate to contact her is the same thing that happens to Ricky Gervais in the movie Ghost World. And if Ricky Gervais can't make it funny... Whoopi Goldberg sure can't make it funny. She's just doing this. I mean, she's doing the same thing she was doing with Jumping Jack Flash in 1984, Burglar 1984 and a half. I mean, she just kept making these movies where she's Whoopi Goldberg in different situations, and that's what she was. So, like, I don't know. uh, As a friend of mine once said, they don't give the Oscars to the actors, they give them to the character. This is one. Whoopi Goldberg didn't get the Oscar. She she did exactly 100% what you would imagine she would do in this situation. I don't know. I I, I thought she was fine. Again, like, it was uh, Oscar winning? I don't know. But I thought she was fine in the movie. I mean, she fits snugly in the world, you know. Um, I expected when when I was going to look at this list of movies that Ghost was going to likely be at the bottom, and it's not at the bottom at all. Uh, I wouldn't love it. I think it's like a it's for a specific taste, but it was a huge box office hit for a reason, and uh, it's one of the few big box office numbers of the late '80s, early '90s that didn't get sequelized or or. Uh, you know, turned into some lame as shit franchise. Not that this, again, is an amazing movie, but it's an interesting little timepiece from 1990. And like I said, I like that we follow the ghost point of view. I think that's an underused aspect in, in the genre. So it gets a mild recommendation from me. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I would say that it becomes non-carbonated coca-cola the moment that sam gets his superpowers and all the tension leaves the movie and this is not much past the halfway point there's just no scenario you can imagine where things don't turn out fine for these characters and even when the threat level is high demi moore might die again who cares she'll just hang out with sam Sam. yeah the stakes are not there and because this movie is focused so much on their intense love affair (laughs) she has no other relationships in her life but sam and the murderer so it's not even like she'll miss her family or something they're just well it does remind me of the matheson book and and the movie what dreams may come because it sort of feels like the setup for that this 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 guy gets killed in a car accident and uh, his wife is so distraught because of it that she ends up taking her own life and he has to try and rescue her from purgatory because killing yourself is a big no-no uh, yeah, is that Demi Moore's future? <laughs> but she knows she'll see Sam again and that he gets to take his love with him. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's, you know what, you can watch it with your girlfriend, you'll probably get some payoff out of that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's it's completely adequate, you know. See, I would, I would put this more, like, any woman that would deign to watch this movie with me for two hours would sleep with me. It seems like already have to want to sleep with me before she would sit through this with me. All right. All right. Touche. Touche. Is there anything else you want to say about Ghost? Um, no. I guess it's time to do our ratings and to hand out our awards. 
Okay, so we've made it through six movies on our fireside edition, ghostly edition and I, of Rank and Review. I just want to say, so the uh, audience can be impressed with me, these are six movies that I watched within a 48-hour time span. Yes, well, uh, visiting from out like of a town, champ. He, did, he watched these movies, most of them not very good. And forsaking his family and friends to do so, so that he could participate in this podcast. This is the level of love that's in the room right now. I my cousin's wedding for this. (laughs) And uh, I'm sorry that, uh, yeah, you didn't get the best batch of movies. Again, even the least favorite movie in here, I'm sad to say I've already watched worse movies for rank and review than even the worst of these. (laughs) And there is more to come. But that's all part of the ride. I can't wait. Uh, I would love to hear what is your least favorite of these six movies? What bottoms it out? Well, I have a, a quite a strong sense of what your least favorite movie is, and there's some overlap with mine. Uh, I have to have a tie for last. Yeah. Um, the same complaint, but done in two different ways, and it's got to go What Lies Beneath and Ghost. Wow. Uh, Ultimately, the determiner is they were really boring. Uh, What Lies Beneath was boring because it went on forever, and I did not care about these people. And honestly, uh, if Michelle Pfeiffer had drowned in the bathtub while Harrison Ford was was taunting with her, yeah, I would have just saved 20 minutes. It's not like I'm invested in this person. Um but no, it goes on because that's what it does. Wow, this is unprecedented. A tie for last place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like a, like a Tolstoy novel if he was no good at writing. You've officially broken the ranking review. <laughs> well played, sir. So oh, then no. what's your number My The is... other tied for last is Ghost. Because right. at the point where nothing bad can happen to anybody and you've solved the mystery, it's so boring and just what lies beneath in ghosts that was like an hour each of everything anything that might have made these things interesting had been done away with at about the halfway point and there was nothing left to do but watch it and you can't even turn it off because you gotta show up on your friend's podcast and you're just <laughs> sitting in front of the screen and waiting for these things to be done <laughs> All right, well, the next one, uh, so the second or third least, depending on uh, how you want to do this, uh, I would say is White Noise. It had, it was also had the problem of being boring uh, and too long in parts. Uh, The montage, which if the there were what lies beneath in Ghost, uh, the montage might have booted it to the bottom of the pack because... It's just so cheap. Um, it did have creepy moments. It had some good jumps. There were some points where you could tell that there's going to be a jump, and, and then, then there was. And, yeah. you know, it's not terrifying, but it's all right. But it was like a mess of elements as well. Um, it, it It had some serious problems. And I think there was too much going on, and nobody had a strong vision of, you know, they wanted to do this ghosts on videotape but they just couldn't take it further um which is you know a shame because one of the greatest ghost movies ever was i don't know is it a 
Thai movie talking about Shutter. Shutter, um, which is similar premise. It's it's some technology picking up ghosts, but they did so much more with it. Yeah. And White Noise, it's like they stopped at the premise and then they just threw some stuff together. They um, figured the premise and Michael Keaton is enough. Yeah. They needed a little more. Yeah, and it had its moments, but it also had its problems. <laughs> uh, so that's the bottom of the pack. Right. Uh, top of the pack is a little bit tough because there's also something kind of close to a tie um, because it, in some ways it would depend on my mood which of these movies I liked better. I'm going to say the next one would be Dark Water. Okay. I mean, it had good moments, um, solid premise. There were things that they could have done to make it a little bit interesting or to make the characters a little bit more engaging. But, you know, it had creepiness. Uh, it's maybe the first movie, you know, after Ghost, What Lies Beneath, White Noise, um, Dark Water is the first one where you get some pathos and you mm-hmm. get some, if she dies, maybe that's a bad thing. Yeah. You know, there's there's something that could happen. There's to a minimal then, investment, yeah. emotional investment, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so there was some investment. Uh, Fragile and Haunted were both, their good points were good for different reasons. I'm a great lover of... Um, like late Victorian, Edwardian, um, up to maybe mid-20th century ghost stories, particularly British ghost stories, um, and Haunted caught that spot on. Um, it wasn't particularly scary, it wasn't particularly creepy, but they did the mood right. Uh, I liked the protagonist, uh, I liked imagining that those were Kate Beckinsale's breasts that I was watching. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, so uh, Haunted would be the next one. And the best of the bunch, uh, it was actually quite a surprise to me, was Fragile. Huh. Um, again, I don't think it's the best ghost movie that I've ever seen, but it had the elements that I really like. There was fairly sustained tension. It had a good... I mean, it actually had a great setting. Uh, it had a good premise. And the payoff, you know, was solid. All right. Okay, so just just for the cheap seats, uh, tying for last place, Ghost, what, Ni- what Lies Beneath, so below that, White Noise, then Dark Water, then Haunted, and then Fragile, that's your list. Yeah, well you said below, I would say above. <laughs> but yes. Okay, well we have very different lists. <laughs> that's okay. Really? So you that's didn't okay. go What Lies Beneath for bottom? Uh, I actually ranked White Noise at number six, really? believe it or not. I think that this is one of the ones where I was just frustrated because I think I do not think Robert Zemeckis is a guaranteed hit maker or anything like that. But I figure between the premise and Michael Keaton, this movie should have been at least a you know B minus, and uh, it would, the wasted potential frustrated me more than it did in What Lies Beneath. What Lies Beneath is comfortably slotted at number five. Uh, it is way too long, and Zemeckis is trying to pretty it up with some elaborate camera work, but 
the script is stupid. There's too few characters to adequately have any kind of a mystery. So it's basically waiting it out. It's waiting this movie out. Yeah, it goes from murder on the Orient Express to murder on a tandem bicycle. (laughs) It becomes very easy to figure out the culprit. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, a mystery without mystery and a two-hour and ten-minute movie with maybe two jumps in it, Yeah, uh, I think we should expect more from our A-list Hollywood. Uh, So comfortably, yes, at number five. Uh, Number four is where I put Ghost. I mean, I like I said, I I understand your problems with the movie, but I there's not too many other movies where we get that point of view on the ghost story, and that was a different enough angle, especially in this batch of movies that. Uh, maybe it speaks to how bad what lies beneath in white noise was that 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 ghost ranks so high in the listing. Can for I me. just interject here because you preface this by saying we had very different choices? Mm-hmm. We've got the same bottom three. We would shuffle them up. It's not like there's yeah. you know one that's this is not a huge difference. No, it's not no, like a, no, a we're, terrible we're on one. the same page more or less. I would give a conditional recommend to the bottom to to. Uh, four out of the six of these movies, and uh, Ghost is one of them. I don't think you would give a conditional recommend to Ghost. I think you just didn't like Ghost. (laughs) Um, I was pleasantly surprised because, uh, well, I remember when I gave you the list, you said, "Uh, I'm not excited about watching Ghost again, but uh, I understand why it's on the list. I was not stoked about it, too, and I assumed it was going to be at the bottom. And uh, no. The good supporting players and uh, a new enough slant on the ghost story worked for me. Um, Yeah, so number three uh, went fragile. Uh, It surprised me. Like I said, I think that meandered a little bit in the first act. The first third takes a while for the engine to get started, but once it starts to cook, it's a decent little ghost movie. If this is your genre, go to with fragile. Um, Then I put Haunted. Um, it's a familiar but well-acted ghost story. Um, I, I like the cast, and um, I don't know. It's just a, a solid example of the genre, if not maybe a little bit made for TV. Um, and Dark Rot Water surprised my, me even uh, for ranking so high. And it's not just because I want to put things into Jennifer Connelly. Uh, I just think that overall the production value on this film, the cast in this film, and the, yes, somewhat familiar but well enough told ghost story, just, you know, I think this is the safest bet for the, the, the wide audience looking at a ghost movie. Uh, if you're, if you're going to watch one of the movies out of the six, I think that dark water will please the most people. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if that, if that's the criteria, right. then, well, and I think that hurts. That's, that speaks to the rather mediocre quality of the list overall that, that, that such an okay movie is dark water ranked number one, but, uh, there are better ghost movies, but, uh, there are, believe it or not much, much, much worse. <laughs> so that's my ranking review. So it is time to give out the Jerry's. 
in the seventh episode of Rankin Review. Um, I don't know where to begin with this. Um, yeah, this is a pretty serious <laughs> responsibility. I don't yeah. want to screw up your Jerry's. Yeah, um, but this, it's your show, so you get to pick out the winners here. You have a lot of responsibility. S- somebody is going to walk away from this, a Jerry Award-winning actor, and uh, you have all the power. So let's start with the performances, I think. All right. Um, best performance in these six ghost movies. Uh, just... For your consideration, uh, uh, Vincent Schiavelli, good supporting role in, in Ghost. I enjoyed him. The angry ghost on the subway. Yeah, he was good stuff. Pretty much every member of the supporting cast in Darkwater. <laughs> I thought Tim, Tim Roth was really good and Pete Postlewaite was really good. And, uh, yeah. Um, and, uh, is it Anthony Andrews from Haunted? Anthony yeah. Andrews? The creepy no, sorry, Sir John Gilgood. Oh, Sir John Gilgood is a yes. doctor, right? Yes. Yeah, you like you like Sir John? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, well, uh, those are what came to my mind. Any other nominations for you? Are you ready to you ready to hand this shit out? Uh, no, I'm ready to hand it out. Right, I'm right. I'm prepared to overrule everything that you've just <laughs> okay, said all right. and go Sir John Gilgood, the doctor. Yay! I we, uh, it's going to have to be a posthumous uh, award. <laughs> We're going to have to dig him up to give him this. Well, this this could be his lifetime achievement, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently, uh, you know, he was a bit of a vain uh, old school actor. It was all about the name. So uh, he got the award. He should be presented with it. So maybe that's send a, a letter to his estate. <laughs> At the very least. All right, uh, so now for less acclaim. All right. What would you say the worst performance? And I think the the, the one to beat is Demi Moore, right? So. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is tough all around because, I mean, as we discussed earlier, uh, she really does sound like a 90-year-old smoker uh, in a way that's disjunctive with the cuteness of her face. Yeah, there's a percentage of Lindsay Lohan to her voice in that. <laughs> but then there's also the disappointment of Harrison Ford, who isn't particularly bad, but the fact that he... Sh- I mean, he's hand Solo, for Christ's sake. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, this is not the vehicle for hand Solo. No, no. All right, so, but is he going to edge Demi out? I mean, was, it, was he worse than Demi Moore? Are you saying that Han Solo was worse? Well, the other uh, possibility, of course, uh, which we discussed earlier, was Elena Anaya. Yeah, uh, but she's at least attractive. <laughs> of these three nominees, she would be the one that could probably carry my vote with their sexual favors. Okay, well, if we're going attractive, then <laughs> Elena, Harrison Ford, and the Jerry goes to Just Demi Moore. Yes, Demi Moore's winning. So now, whenever I see Demi Moore, I have to say she's a Jerry award-winning Jerry actress. Jerry award-winning actress. Or does she prefer actor? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Um, best scare of these six films, a lot of which we found relatively fright-free, so this also might be challenging. Uh, what came to my mind was the uh, little girl ghost in, in Fragile, first rising from the bed and then her appearance up in the spooky uh, attic or, or the second-floor room. Yeah, I mean, that's the only one that I can think of that could possibly get a Jerry unless there's uh, some scary moment in these that there I'm There were sudden loud noises in white noise that accidentally scared me. But well, it, since it's, it's all exactly the same, yes. since there's these endless shots of watching fuzzy videos and you know that it's going to go really loud and go, Bruh! Yeah, exactly. I mean, how could we choose just one? <laughs> I know. There were so many to choose from. 
But yeah, sudden loud noises, if that's the criteria, I don't think it speaks well <laughs> for this list of movies. Um, I'm trying to think of another nominee for Best Scare. I, I got one jump out of uh, uh, What Lies Beneath, but one jump in two hours and ten minutes is not, not good. Uh, but when Harrison Ford uh, tries to take the necklace off of his sedated wife, and when he leans her back down, her face has changed. That was a kind of good boo, I thought. Maybe that speaks to your cowardly nature. <laughs> yes. It seemed like just a dumb CGI thing. But at that point, I wasn't expecting a dumb CGI. I was expecting something else dumb. You know? Like, that that was a different dumb than I had anticipated. All right. Well, as the tiebreaker <laughs> between the two indeed. of us. I mean, the reason that, for me, Fragile was the... Uh, uh, best movie of the lot is because out of the six, it was the only one with, I'm not gonna say horrifically scary moment, but creepy, and then a couple of really good Solid. ghosty moments. Yeah, The the, the bone-breaking in that movie kind of bugged me, too. Yeah. Bone-breaking as a rule bugs me, but especially because a lot of it was on kids, I think, just, I don't know. Yeah, if you had thought to uh, give a, a Jerry to most disturbing, we could also. Uh, it's not too late. <laughs> this, is, this is your show. You have the power. What kind of a what kind of a show are you running here? <laughs> yeah, and the Jerry goes to the kid with the compound fracture in fragile. <laughs> Um, so oh, fragile. there is a, a Jerry for best kid with compound fracture, I see. So yes, yes, let's yeah. give that to the kid exactly. from Fragile. Actually, I have a whole other section of six movies on the subject of children getting <laughs> compound fractures. But, uh, that'll be for next time you're in town. Um, best kill in the series. Uh, and there's, there's, there was some death handed out. Again, my mind goes instantly to Fragile. There was the... Uh, friendly, super likable, bald black guy that got along so well with the kids who who got well mangled and then thrown out of a window. Yeah, the one that we were pretty sure was going to get killed from when we first met him. <laughs> I didn't he say was... it was a surprise. <laughs> no, but... Uh... What about the um, being impaled by glass in Ghost? Or that was weirdly... A, it was a good death, as Legends of the Fall <laughs> would say. <laughs> No, that was a pretty that was a pretty decent one. I'll agree. I, I know she didn't die, but I, her career probably died a little <laughs> bit. Uh, but Deborah Kara Unger's little swan dive out the window in in white noise. Uh, I guess it's not a death. Maybe maybe it's yeah, disqualified. Yeah, uh, there's maybe high paraplegic. I feel stupid having said it out loud. Actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, the other one might have gone to Patrick Swayze in Ghost. Yeah. Weirdly, or in real life. <laughs> All right. Is he the one? I think we have Jerry. <laughs> the winner for best death in these six movies and in real life. All apologies to Patrick Swayze fans everywhere. Both of you, I'm deeply sorry. And and when you when you send the notice of the Jerry to his estate, I'm sure you'll be as sensitive as you can in the wording. Yes, of course, of course. I will also say that I enjoyed his work as the pedophile in Donnie Darko. <laughs> okay, well, uh, let's let's put a bow on this with the uh, <laughs> best what the fuck moment of these six movies. Uh, and uh, I mean, for ghost movies, there wasn't a lot of really uh, big, shocking, twisty moments. I mean, um, 
don't know if it speaks for the selection or if it's just the genre. There's, there's, these were very familiar stories. I mean, I hadn't seen all of these movies before, but I felt like I'd seen all of these movies before. Um, we just talked about Patrick Swayze's death in Ghost, but that was what came to mind for What the Fuck Moment. Just the moment that his character is killed and uh, we see Sam chasing after his attacker. And it's not until he turns around and he realizes that he, he sees his body on the ground and he's bleeding out. I thought that was a pretty cool what the fuck moment. I know he didn't like Ghost, but I thought that scene was pretty No, cool. I mean, I, I just didn't think it was what the fuck so much as, <laughs> you know, credit where credit's due. It was a good way of handling the transition into being a ghost. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you mentioned it already. Um, Deborah Carey Unger in <laughs> White Noise, this... Uh, I mean, we've been through this before. Her whole presence in this movie is sort of perhaps best what the fuck moment. <laughs> yeah. When she falls six or seven stories backwards. And lives. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or the f- very final scene of the movie with her, uh, where she seems to see something off camera and there's this <laughs> startling music. But we have no idea what something might have might happened. Have been. Something might have happened, and that's what we'll think about when we think about white noise. Something yeah. might have happened. And right? to me, I think that's that takes the what the fuck because that's <laughs> when you can ask the question what the fuck and really mean it. Okay, you're right. You're right. Um, I know this is your Jerry's, and I don't want to like step on any toes, but a special award. I think that a special award can be handed out today. Um, for best stunt sex scene in any movie. Yeah, the Aiden Quinn's uh, body double and the... Uh, 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 Beckinsale's body double. They both vaguely looked like the actors they were supposed to portray. They did think. seem like they were cutting away to another Meanwhile, an almost a different porno movie, movie yeah. from the early 90s. Uh, the only thing that could have made that better is if it really was Kate Beckinsale. <laughs> <laughs> Kate Beckinsale having sex with Aiden Quinn's body double. Yeah, Aiden Quinn's Aiden body Quinn double Quinn was with the Jennifer dreaded no-nudity clause in his contract. Yeah. Aiden Quinn was not willing to let it hang for the haunted <laughs> movies. So. Anyway, uh, if, you will, if you will allow me, yeah, uh, I would like to nominate... Uh, best fake sex scene in a movie <laughs> to Haunted. Uh, I, I, I insist. Matthew, thank you so much for doing my podcast, and um, hopefully you get a chance to do it again, and we can do it in a way that you don't have to forsake all of your friends and family to watch six mediocre ghost movies, but I'm thrilled and happy that you did it, and thank you so, so much. Well, it was my pleasure. Is there anything you want to you wanna promote to the kids on the internet? Do you want to send them to your, your porn site or whatever? No, just drugs. Just, what, drugs. just wherever you can get your hands on them, do them often. Yes. Yes, uh, Matt's spreading his pro-drug message to the internet. Until next time, kids. Seven Ghosts. I hope you enjoyed that. If you'd like to write me, please do. You can do so at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. 
Let me know anything I got right. Let me know anything I got wrong. Let me know thoughts, ideas, feedback. I really appreciate knowing there's people out there listening and enjoying it. We'll talk to you next time.